will you sit down? Come on. Really? Good morning, Randolph Street family. It is good to have you with us this morning. Thank you for navigating the icy roads to come and join us in this most sacred space for us together as we lift up our voices and our hearts and our affections to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I trust you have, throughout your week, experienced the goodness of the Lord as you have been reading the scriptures and living before him by faith. I pray that you have continually experienced his good and new mercies each and every day of your week. If you're joining us online this morning, thank you uh, for navigating your path from your bedroom to the living room and uh, joining us this morning. We uh, miss you guys and gals. I hear rumors of some who will soon be returning to our gathering, and we are excited about that. If you're visiting with us today, uh, we welcome you. We would love to talk with you after our gathering if you have an opportunity. Uh, typically, after our gathering, you'll find Pastor Tim or myself lingering up here somewhere. Uh, if you get an, a chance, we would love to meet you. Just a few announcements. If you'll grab your bulletins just very quickly, a few things that are in the bulletin, a couple of things that are not in the bulletin. Um, teenagers, I'll point you to that very quickly. It's not in your bulletin. March 6th, uh, Stephen is planning a ski trip up to Winter Place. If you have questions about that, you can see him. But that's a Saturday, March the 6th. If you're interested, please let him know as we need to get lift tickets ordered soon, March the 6th. A couple other things in your bulletin. Member interviews. Uh, this starts tonight. We, we're putting these together just to introduce you to our members here at Randolph Street so that you can hear kind of the stories of God's providence in one another's lives and give you an opportunity to, to really do two things. One, to rejoice over God's faithfulness in the lives of his people. And two, learn how to pray for uh, those within our church family. I trust that this evening as we launch our first of these with Carlotta, you will enjoy her testimony. Uh, it will be instructive to you, helpful to your soul, and uh, again, that you can join with her in thanking God for the kind grace that he has shown her through her life. So tonight at 7 p.m., it's live feed only. Don't show up, okay? Live feed only. Join us 7 p.m. The following Sunday night, February the 21st, is really the, the capstone to this most unusual membership class we're walking through. Okay, so our new members class is really happening during our Sunday morning preaching, uh, plus this additional session that we're hosting on February the 21st at 6 p.m. Tim and I will be here, and we're going to be talking about kind of the purpose of Randolph Street, the, the, the vision of Randolph Street, how we organize as a local church, uh, just some of the, the, the things that we deeply value here. Uh, that's open to everyone. If you would like to attend, you can join us for the live feed also. Uh, for those of you walking through our new members process, we ask that you be here that evening. Uh, th there will be a time for questions, so if you would like to submit those questions via uh, text or calling or emailing us uh, or being here in, pres um, in person that particular evening, uh, that, I trust, will be a helpful time for us as a church family. One more announcement down at the very bottom. The baby bottle drive, I believe that is now actually happening out in the Welcome Center. You can grab your bottle, have them back by February the 28th. Uh, that is a, a good way for us to serve a much-needed ministry in our city and throughout our region. Okay, all of that aside, for centuries, the church has gathered. 
and they have gathered around a common faith, a faith that we love, a faith, faith that we confess, and throughout the centuries, the church has put together various confessions or catechisms to summarize this most holy faith that we deeply love. This year, we're walking through the Heidelberg Catechism. Not every question, but most questions. Um, this particular question that is before us, let me grab the, the clicker, is a follow-up to last week's question. Last week's question, before we get to this week's, what does God's law require of us? The answer was, referencing Christ's teaching in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, minds, and soul, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God's law requires of us. The catechism picks up on that. And this week, the question is, can you live up to all this perfectly? Now together. I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. Well, welcome to Sunday morning. How about that? You walked in here, and what you hear is you have a natural tendency to hate God and to hate your neighbor. By birth, that is who you are. In Adam, this is what we do. But, thank God that our natural tendencies have been met by supernatural grace. And now, because of what God has done for us in Christ, my brothers and sisters, you join together in this room and now, instead of hating God and hating your neighbor, you love God. And not only do you love your neighbor, you love your enemies. The only explanation for that, nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God and his marvelous grace he has shown to you in Christ. So, let that truth set on your hearts, and let's prepare ourselves to worship this God of grace we so deeply love. as we begin this Lord's Day, help us as your people to be mindful as we move into this time of worship and praise, lifting our voices up in song to you, our God. Let your people, by your spirit, be very mindful this morning of your grace that you have bestowed upon us, that you have worked in our lives and brought us from death to life from your enemies to your reconciled children, from those who hate you to those who love you. 
Lord, for all of us in this room or at home who have faith in Christ, let us be mindful. We do so only by your grace. Let that be the foundation we worship on this morning. Your sovereign, undeserved, unmerited, miraculous, effectual, life-changing grace. Let our hearts rest there. And from that, O oh God, let our mouths sing praises to you, our great and glorious and merciful God. I pray for our church family here and at home. Lord, that through this time, singing, reading, prayer, confession, preaching, you would be pleased, Lord, to do a good and holy work in our hearts, conforming us to Christ, that we might live out the primary purpose of our lives, that we would live for the praise of your glory. So God, do that good work today. I pray for my brother as he comes in a few moments and preaches, Lord, that you will use your word in our hearts effectively today. We ask that now in Christ's name. Amen. As we begin to worship this morning, please stand and let us hear the word of God. Call us together as the people of God to worship. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of the lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Amen. Come, thou fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise his name, I'm fixed upon it, name of God's redeeming love. Hitherto thy love has blessed me, thou hast brought me to this place. 
seated and as you are please lend your ears to this God's holy word <clears throat> a reading from the gospel of John now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification and they came to John and said to him rabbi who was with you across the Jordan and to whom you bore witness look he is baptizing and all are going to him John answered a person cannot receive even one thing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this is joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, I must decrease. He who calls from above is above all, and he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. A reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumph, triumphing over them in him. Please stand and let's sing. built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in blood and right 
righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. song 
sound. Please open in your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Our sermon text today will be found in verses 12 through 28. 1 Thessalonians 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Father, we would ask that you would take this word, your word, Open our eyes that we might see it clearly. Open our hearts that we might receive it by faith, that we might seek to live it for your glory, through your power, through the working of your spirit. Lord God, shape us, I pray. Sanctify us wholly, body, soul, and mind. Lord, I pray that we as a church would understand the nature of the relationships, the heart of this body. Lord, that we would be a people that would know how to interact with one another and ultimately how to worship you. Father, how to be changed by you into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I would pray that you would give me liberty of mind and tongue, 
Give our folks here today the ability to listen clearly, those who are at home, the challenge of being able to really focus on what is being said. But Spirit of God, I pray that you might do that. Father, help us to learn to love the church, your body, your people, the redeemed of all the ages. Oh God, do that work in us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence of our Lord to give worship that is due his name. Pastor Jason laid such a solid foundation for our three-week series on the church that kind of uh, makes up our new member class this time. 
with the statement of Christ in Matthew 16, I will build my church. If you don't remember anything else from the series and that lands solidly on your heart and mind, there's enough theology in there to give you a great understanding of what the church is. It is Christ. Christ has given the blueprint. He desires that we would follow that completely and wholly. Last week, we examined Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, focusing mainly on chapter 4, to see the process of Christ in building his church. We saw that the process began with God the Father from eternity past, choosing a people and predestining them for adoption as sons according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Christ redeems this chosen people through his blood and the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our internal inheritance, seals those who have heard the gospel and believed in Christ until we acquire possession of that inheritance again to the praise of his glory. It all begins with a work of grace by the hand of God. It cannot start. You cannot be a part of the church outside the sovereign working of God's grace in your heart to call you unto himself and save you. It is those people that Christ has redeemed. Paul informs us that Christ is the head of the church, which is the body of Christ, the people of God. To help us better understand the church and how Christ is building it, Paul uses a number of metaphors to explain it. The household of God, he says, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, this building, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, listen to this, as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Borrowing Old Testament language, the temple of God, the dwelling place of God, that we, the people of God, those redeemed by Jesus Christ, are that dwelling place of God. He goes on in chapter 5 of Ephesians and says, Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her in order that we would look like Christ, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Behold, we are members of his body. What breathtaking language as we see the Word of God opening up the reality of the church. And we, the people of God, need to realize with deep humility and thanksgiving what our relationship is to Christ, He who is the eternal living God, the church. The church is so much more than a building. The church is so much more than an organization. 
The church is so much more as a place we go to have our needs met, to be entertained. The church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the dwelling place of God. The church is that which is loved by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave himself for the church, his body, his bride. Every member of this redeemed people of God is given grace, is given a gift to be used to build up the body in love that the body may be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ to the praise of his glory. That is the goal. That is the ultimate end of the process, that we would be built up, mature people growing into our head, even Christ. That we would be a Christ-like people. That when people come to Randolph Street, they would see not just people, but people who love God, that they would see Jesus Christ working in and through us. Today, I would like to look at the text in 1 Thessalonians that I read just a moment ago to see what I would call the heart of the church, the function of relationships within the body of Christ, and in particular, to the local church. Paul opens the letter to 1 Thessalonians in this way. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. If we had been back in that day and Randolph Street would have existed in the first century and Paul would have come to this city and established this church, he would write back to us as a local body of believers. The church, the greater body of Christ, but within every locale, that church manifests itself in local bodies, just like Randolph Street. It is important that we understand that we are the people of God, that God loves us, and we have a certain role, we have a certain goal that we are seeking to attain. Remember, Christ said, I will build my church. We must be absolutely convicted of that truth and willing to follow that design whether it makes any sense in the 21st century or not we must follow that we cannot improve upon the blueprint that God has drawn up for the church what we are to be we cannot step over it thinking that we have more wisdom more thought process a better understanding of how to build the church God has clearly ordained that and we see that these relationships within the body are structured by the Lord. First of all, we see a relationship between the people and those that God has placed in leadership in the local body. The next thing that Paul moves to in this text of Scripture is the relationship of people to people. How do we interact? How do we relate with one another? How do we think about the body of Christ? And thirdly, we're going to see the relationship between the people and our God. Chapter 5 in the passage that I read opens up in this way. 
we ask you, brothers, brothers, if we understand this concept that we're talking about, about the church being the family of God, the household of God, the body of Christ, then certainly the idea that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 1, that we are predestined to adoption as sons, that we are a family, that we are a people that are a family that is related through and in Jesus Christ. We are knit together in Christ. This undergirding truth that we are brothers and sisters. Paul says it this way in Galatians 3 in such a powerful, powerful way. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. He's writing this to local churches in the region of Galatia. And he's wanting them to understand and know that we are all the sons of God. We are all the children of God. We have a unifying relationship through Jesus Christ. He says, you are all the sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, placed into Christ upon our salvation, baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now that's not a statement that alarms us today. But in the first century, that was a radical, radical statement. There's neither Jew nor Greek. We are all the same. We are all one in Christ. There is neither slave nor free. Your economic status means absolutely nothing in the body of Christ. Your background, your ethnicity, your race has nothing to do with our relationship within the structure of the body of Christ. We are all one. There is no male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. That's why he speaks about the body in the way he does, that we are all one unit functioning together, all with different gifts, all coming from different backgrounds, but we are united in Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the church. He goes on to say, and if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring. Not only are we united to one another, but we are united with all the people of God throughout all the ages, and my heart explodes with, wow. That is an amazing, an amazing truth. We are one. Not only in the sense of whether it is black or white, male or female, but also in the various struggles and personalities that we find within the church. We are family. I don't know what your family is like, but my family, people are different. And the bigger your family grows, the more different people are. We have four children. You would think having the same parents, each one would be the same, but they're not. Their, their personalities are so different. Their likes and dislikes, the things that they do and don't do, are very different. 
You think about the body of Christ. You look around this room today and you will recognize that we are different. One of the statements that we make in our classes is that we are not wanting, we are wanting unity, not uniformity. It is not critical to us that everyone looks the same and dresses the same, have the same preferences, go about everything in the same way. It's not going to happen. How do we relate to one another within that context? The first relationship that Paul opens up is between the leadership and the people. What is the obligation of the leadership, the elders in a local church? What is their relationship? What is their responsibility? What has God ordained as he is building his church? What has he ordained them to do, them to be like? What is the heart of that relationship? Three words he, he says here in verses 12 and 13 as he deals with this relationship. First of all, he says, those who labor. Leadership is to labor among you. It says they are over you. They labor and they lead. And thirdly, he says, and admonish you. They encourage you. They strengthen you. They are ones who call you to obedience through the word of God. I'd like to go back for just a moment to chapters 2 and 3. I've made this statement from this pulpit before. I've made it so many times through my years of ministry because these two chapters, chapters 2 and 3, have rested in my soul and been a guiding truth in my life in shepherding God's people. It has been that way for many, many, many years. I am thankful that God brought my heart to this text early in my ministry as a pastor, as a shepherd, as an elder. You listen to what Paul is speaking about his relationship as a leader in the church, particularly the relationship of those that no doubt Timothy ordained as leaders, elders in the church at Thessalonica when Paul sent him back there to give stability to that young church that Paul was taken away from so very quickly in their little history. Let's go down to verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That is the role of a pastor. That is the role of a shepherd. He loves his people. He cares for his people. 
It feels like a nursing mother with a child wanting to protect them, wanting to care for them. So we being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Can you imagine a church? Can you imagine a relationship between the leadership and the people that lack love, that lack care, that lack the willingness to weep with someone, to rejoice with someone, to care about someone, to plead for their heart and their walk with God? That is the role that God has ordained. That was the role that Jesus Christ had with his disciples, the role that the very heart of God has for his people, to care for them. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. You remember he says they are to labor among you. Let's go down to verse 11. He says, for you know how like a father with his children, not only is a, the leadership to be like a mother caring with great affection, but they're to be like a father, one who exhorts each one and encourages you and charges you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. to be able to stand in the presence of God before his people and call you to live a life that is worthy of Christ, to call you to deal with sin, to call you to repentance, to recall you to restore your thought process, to renew your thinking, to call you to obedience, to call dads and moms to godly Christian homes to call brothers and sisters to care for one another, to call you to be good stewards of what God has said, to be able to preach to God not in arrogance, but with a heart that is shaped with affection, calling people to be obedient to what God desires through the teaching of God's holy word. Verse 19, chapter 2. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. When those who are shepherding the flock, your elders here stand before God and give an account for God, to God for our ministry, your lives will be the fruit of our labor. You are our glory and joy. Not more so than God, of course. That's not what he's saying. It isn't a big building. It isn't accolades from someone. It isn't how many numbers, how many things that you have. It is people. The heart of the church is the people of God. The heart of the church is Christ. It is so easy to get so sideways in this. But it is critical that we understand this is how Christ is building his church. This is the blueprint. Anything else is off the chart. Anything else is man's invention. Anything else is man feebly thinking he can improve on what God has said. 
Let's continue reading chapter 3. Therefore, we could bear it no longer. Paul had gone away from Thessalonica down to Berea, down, down into Athens and Corinth. He's writing back to them, and he says, I couldn't stand it any longer, so I sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel, to do what? To establish and exhort you in your faith. That is key. Your walk with God, your understanding of God, your understanding of the Word, that is the heart and the core of the role of a pastor, is to shepherd the people through the ministry of God's Word. We see that over and over and over again. Go down, if you would, please, to chapter, verse 9, or verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. You've heard it said many times here, the joy that fills our souls as we have the privilege of shepherding you people God has placed under our care I love the people of God I've had the privilege of pastoring planting churches throughout our many years Becky and I many years of ministry every church I look back on there are people that are so dear to my soul and I can look you in the eye this morning and tell you I love you my heart receives deep joy in ministering to you. I know Jason is the same way. All of our elders, the same way. It is that source of joy. That, that's the heart. That's the heart of the body, the relationships, the people. Let's go back and look at the people's responsibility toward the pastor, the elders, the leadership. First of all, he says to respect. They are over you. So it's the idea of submission or following. And then to esteem them very highly in love. To respect. Simply, the idea here is to know to appreciate, to recognize. I really don't need to say a whole lot to anyone here. You folks love us. You care well for us. I never walk in here feeling like I'm in an adversarial relationship. That does happen in local churches from time to time. But I always sense your love, your appreciation, your acceptance the most important thing that you can do as you think about this is the acceptance not only of us as a person, but the ministry of the word that is coming to you. Listen to what Paul would say to this church in Thessalonica. Chapter 1, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. They were going through tremendous tribulation and trials but they received the word of God. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 13. 
For we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. One of the greatest means of respect you can ever show a, a shepherd, an elder, a pastor, is to receive the word that is proclaimed to you from this book. To take God's word, to receive it as God's word. Not as the opinions and words of a man, but the word of the living God. And be able to take that and place yourself under that authority. The word of God. Submitting, following, like it says in the book of Hebrews. Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life. The leaders are keeping watch over your souls. It is important for us to understand that, that we follow. Not in an, again, not in an arrogant way as, as Paul or Peter would say, where you're being forced to do something, someone lording over you but in a way that someone is teaching you the Word of God. We're family. We're seeking to help you learn to walk with God, to be what God desires for you to be, to call you to that, to stir you up, to light a fire under you from time to time as the Spirit of God would take the Word and urge you to do what God calls you to do. That is the greatest way you could ever show respect is to follow and receive the word of God and to esteem your elders in love, to love your leadership, to pray for them, to care for them, to be willing to confront them if their lives are full of sin, to be a people who care deeply about the folks that God has put over you. And again, I can't complain. <laughs> you have been a wonderful church family. Uh, Jason has said that over and over and over again from this pulpit, and I would echo the same words. We are blessed to pastor such a good people. Now, what about with one another? People to people. Do you have any relatives that, I mean, honestly, are kind of tough to live with? You know, I don't want anyone to stand up and shout someone's name. But in just about every family, brothers and sisters and in-laws and aunts and uncles, and, and there are people that scratch your head. They're just different than you. They're strange. They go about life in a different way. Some people are just hard to get along with. They're contrary with everything. Some people are takers. Some people are givers. But it's family. Well, the same thing is true in any local assembly. There are different people, and he acknowledges that. Let's go down to verse 13, the end of it. He says, first of all, be at peace among yourselves. I want to read a verse. I was going to preach from Romans 15. Matter of fact, Jason this morning said, what are you preaching from? And I told him 1 Thessalonians 5. He looked at me like, whoa, what happened? 
I want to read you a text that captured my heart in Romans 15. I just ended up moving into this text because I felt like it captured what I wanted us to see in this new member class. Romans 15, 5 through 7. Listen carefully. This is beautiful. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, so it comes from God, Jesus said, I will what? I will build. The church is not a man-made institution. The church is not about man. It is about what God is doing for God's glory. Get that in your mind. Set that in your heart. It will help you understand as you read the Word of God why the church is so important. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, now listen, to live in such harmony. Not that we're singing the same note, but we are in harmony. Two different notes, but with a beautiful sound. We are in harmony with one another. Now listen to this. In accord with Christ Jesus. We're not looking for everyone to look the same, but we're looking for a unified heart Focus around Jesus Christ. Our goal is to exalt Christ. Our goal is to lift up Christ. He goes on to say, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together, all of us, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's a Sunday morning gathering. That is the people of God coming together, different though we might be, maybe a little bit different note here and there, but a harmony in accord with Jesus Christ. And we with one voice, we lift up our voice. The psalmist cries out over and over and over again, lift up your voice. We lift up our voice to glorify God. That's what it's all about. It is not about entertainment. It is about glorifying God. It is about as we glorify God singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord that our hearts are built up, that our hearts are encouraged, that our hearts swell together as a people as we give glory to the God who has purchased us. This is his church. He has redeemed us. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit of God. And oh, how we need to exalt him. That's the heart of the church. Therefore, he says, welcome. <laughs> when Jason preached through this text, I did not have the privilege of preaching this text as we went through Romans. But I would read along every week and be thinking through a text as he was preparing and then preaching. And I remember how it struck me when I saw that, that we would welcome. What an interesting word, that we would welcome one another. The word welcome has the idea of accepting one another and receiving one another. That we would welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. that I would receive you, that I would accept you. I would accept you as a brother or sister in Christ, one with me. 
that I would live in harmony with you for the express purpose of with one voice glorifying God. All the petty, petty things that can separate God's people when the glory of God is at stake. Let's go back to verse 14, 1 Thessalonians 5. You probably didn't leave. I want us to see here, he's going to speak about three groups of people. He's going to speak about the idol in verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. He's going to speak about the faint-hearted. We are going to encourage the faint-hearted. And he's going to speak about the weak. We're going to be help the weak. And then we're going to be patient with everyone. What are these three groups of people? Not everyone is growing at this church at the same rate. Not everyone battles the same problems that we bring into our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're sinners. We're broken. God justifies us. He redeems us. But he takes a process of sanctification, which we're going to see in a moment, to make us like Christ. And so within any body of believers, you're going to find people who are battling different things different than you, different than I. But we're all doing something. How do we deal with them? Even the ways in which we respond to them is different. It's like parenting. You get your first one figured out, and you think, huh, all right, that's not that bad. Then the next one comes along. And the things that you did with the first one just doesn't seem to work with the second one. And so you kind of have to adjust. You have to mold in, in how you're parenting them. The truth is always the same. The principles are always the same. But how do you engage with them? First of all, he says the idol. The idol comes from a military word. It was a word that was used in the military of people marching and someone was out of step. It went on to speak about an army that was in disarray. I mean, they just couldn't do anything because they were just haphazard. Taken into the context of the church, it meant one who was disorderly and unruly. Just a disorderly person, an unruly person. How are they to be dealt with? He says you admonish them. To admonish means to give advice, correction, designed to change the conduct of a person. It is helping brothers and sisters overcome moral failure. How do you deal with someone who has an obstinate heart? How do you deal with someone who is living in sin? You certainly pray for them, but you need to correct them. You need to press truth into their heart with all gentleness, not as a bully, not as arrogant, but with gentleness. But you press into that seeing their behavior change. Sometimes there are steps of discipline that God brings into play with this very scenario here. 
but you admonish the idle, the unruly, the disorderly. Secondly, he says, you encourage the faint-hearted, the faint-hearted, timid, discouraged, ready to give up. You read through the book of 1 Thessalonians, you recognize they had reason. <laughs> they were enduring tremendous persecution because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And they were discouraged. There are people who are here today who are discouraged. In life, you're discouraged in your faith. You don't blow them out of the water. You seek to encourage them, to prop them up, to help them, to understand them, to know them, to try to come along beside them and encourage them along their way. The last grouping of people are the weak. The author of one of the commentaries I use to help me understand this text of Scripture said it probably is speaking of what we would call the least of these, the poor, the slaves, the uneducated, the widows, the orphans. What do you do for these folks? You help them. You don't cast them off, you pick them up. And you help them along the way. Mercy ministries, we sometimes refer to this. Thinking about people that are going through difficult times. You were so good. Pastor Jason spoke about this when we were talking about our budget, the thousands of dollars that came in to help those who were going through hard times. That's what we do in the family. We don't just blow by people. They don't look a certain way. They don't dress a certain way. They don't meet the status of our church. They smell a little bit, that sort of thing. You just cast them away because they don't fit in here. They don't really make the budget. They don't bring money in. Oh, that would be sad. I hate to say that coming out of my own mouth. It's what happened when James wrote to these people. Someone who came in was dressed nice. Oh, you brought them right up to the front of the church. Someone who wasn't like that. Oh, they sat in the back. James said, not, not to be like that. We care for people. We help those. And then you just have patience for everybody. You need to have patience with me. I need to have patience with you. We just recognize that this isn't a sprint. This is a process. This is a journey. And it might take a long time for these things to really soak into the heart. You know, sometimes in life, people don't really mature when they're supposed to. Sometimes men are still kids when they're 35, 40 years old. They've just not really learned the responsibility of being a husband or a dad, and they just want to play all the time. But eventually, they grow up and accept that responsibility. Patient. People grow at different rates. People are battling different things. And all oh, how we need to just labor in the Word gently, day, week after week, taking the Word of God and placing it in the heart, watching the Spirit of God make that change, as we'll see in a minute. Now he moves on to the relationship that we have toward God. 
He goes on, verse 15, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to, good, to, good, to do good to, and to everyone. Be patient with me. As I get older, you're going to have to be more patient with me. All right, verse 16. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Wow. That is, those are overwhelming words. When everything's going well, those words just kind of roll off our backs, no big deal. But when there is something major marches into your life, God brings into your life sovereignly, providentially. All these things are a task. They are a struggle. Let me read a quote. It's a long quote. But I thought it summarized so well what the author is getting at here, what Paul's getting at. As the worldly or the unsaved man goes on his way, he meets with some things which make him happy and some about which he complains bitterly. This unsaved man, he conceives of life as a matter more or less of chance. Accordingly, he welcomes the workings of chance which favor his purposes and objects to those which do not. But when a person comes to see that God in Christ has saved him, everything is altered. He now realizes that God's purpose is being worked out. He sees the evidence in his own life and in the lives of those about him. This leads to the thought that the same loving purpose is being worked out even in those events which he is inclined not to welcome at all. When he comes to see God's hand in all things, he learns to give thanks for all things. Tribulation is unpleasant, to say the least. Yet, who in the midst of tribulation would not give thanks when he knows that the Father who loves him so greatly has permitted, even ordained, that tribulation only in order that his wise and merciful purpose might be worked out. So out of this great central truth of Christianity, Paul calls on his friends to practice the continual giving of thanks. Praying, showing our dependence upon the Lord, rejoicing, keeping our focus on the Lord, giving thanks, recognizing God's kind and wise providence he goes just to general admonitions do not quench the spirit how we're we going to receive most of these I think have to do with God's working in our heart primarily through the word do not despise prophecies test everything hold fast to what is good abstain from every form of evil verse 23 this really demands an entire sermon but I want to cast it in this light as I read it. One of the sweet things to do in a church is to observe God's working. God's working in your heart and life. God's working in other people's lives. As you get to know people, as you engage with people, you will recognize the dynamic of verse 23 and 24. And it becomes something 
very, very precious and beautiful. What is God doing in the midst of our church? The people are accepting his kind providence, his wise providence, his sometimes difficult, frowning providence. We're rejoicing, we're listening to the word, we're engaging. What is God doing through all these things, all these relationships that we've talked about? Now may the God of peace himself, don't forget, what did Jason say? The core foundation of the church is what? Jesus said what? Say it with me. I will build my church. You, don't let him be absent from the process. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, set you apart, conform you to Christ. All this that we're gearing for, that we're working toward, growing up, maturing, all the things we talked about last week. May he sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you. Where does the whole process of the church begin? Ephesians 1, when he calls us unto himself as a people, he saves us. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And so much of that process happens within the structure of the body of Christ. And we get to be a part of it. We get to observe it. We get to rejoice in the grace of God to the glory of God. Three quick takeaways. To the praise of his glory. That's more than just a statement we make here. That is the core of the church. To the praise of his glory. Always the ultimate goal. I would encourage you, get plugged in. Get messy if necessary. Get plugged into the body. It's a beautiful thing. It might be messy, but it's a beautiful thing because it is what God is doing. God is working. Get involved. Get plugged in. Give yourself to the church. Thirdly, love the church because to love the church is to love Christ. Rightly understood, the church as the people of God, the body of Christ, the working of God, all these things coming together, love the church. And I know you do. 95%, if not more, I know you, not just Randolph Street, but you love the church. I know you love Randolph Street, this local assembly. I love it. I'm thankful for it. The heart of the church is Christ and his people. That's what we strive to be. Our Father, thank you for this letter written centuries and centuries and centuries ago, yet so relevant. For Lord, the church in Thessalonica is the same as the church on Randolph Street. We are your people. The dynamics are the same. The blueprint is the same. You are the same. Lord, 
just as you chose those people you have chosen us just as Christ redeemed them he has redeemed us just as Christ nourished and cherished them so he nourishes and cherishes us through his word oh Lord help us never 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 to lose focus of this core truth in Jesus name and for his glory amen please stand I once was lost in darkest night Yet thought I knew the way The sin that promised joy in life Had led me to the grave I had no hope phrase for the end of that message this morning. Our benediction today comes from 1 Timothy 1.17. If you were here for Brother Sean's 
homegoing service. This was a text that, a greater portion, but the text that Jason, I think, preached on, isn't it? The text in First Peter, or First Timothy. Certainly, if you knew Sean, you would know how this message would resonate in his heart and his love for the church. Oh, how we want to exalt our great God. And Paul would say to Timothy, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever.